You're listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Hey, y'all, and welcome to the NASM CPT Podcast. I'm Rick Ritchie, and yes, my eye is still black. It's still black. So for those of you who are watching this on the NASM Facebook page or in our YouTube channel, Get a good look at that shiner. All right. Uh, for those of you who missed the story, make sure that you go and uh, listen to the undulating versus linear periodization that we did earlier in the week. And of course, if you're listening to this not at the time it's being released, I don't know what to tell you, but this eye is black, uh, a little jujitsu accident where uh, I didn't even know it happened but it has grown and overtaken my eyelid and the bag of my eye. And it's really, it's like a David Bowie look. And it's not bad. To be honest, it looks pretty cool. And I might, might want to keep it. Might want to keep it. With that being said, let's talk about what we are going to talk about today. Previously, we did a functional anatomy course on the quads. So I figure that in order to balance that conversation out, maybe we should have a conversation about the hamstrings. So let's talk hamstrings. What are the hamstrings? What it is that they do? How can we use them? Uh, as many of you know, I love etymology. So what, if you just talked about the names, what do they mean? So let's talk about the word hamstring First, because hamstring, is, they, it's the group of three muscles that are in the back of the leg. And so etymologically, etymologically speaking, I don't know if I love etymology so much that I know how to conjugate it well. But the hamstrings, let's talk about it. Ham means back of the knee. Didn't know that. Ham means back of the knee. And string is referring to the tendon. So the hamstring is the tendons on the back of the legs. Now, that makes a lot of sense, too. So if you're sitting there and you just reach your fingers underneath your knee and you feel the hamstring, it just feels like a bunch of tendons, very tendinous. So we've got three primary muscles in the hamstring. First one we're going to talk about is the biceps femoris or the biceps femoris. And that, we talk about biceps. Bi means two. Seps, it comes from the Latin word caput, which means head. So, and then femoris means femur, which is the thigh or the upper part of the thigh. So we've got the biceps femoris, the two-headed muscle that's on the femur, just like we have the biceps brachii, which is the two-headed muscle on the arm. Well, let's discuss a little bit. Proximal and distal attachment. So there are biceps, so there are two heads to this. So we have to talk about the long head and the short head. So the long head attaches to the ischial tuberosity, which is the ischium, so think about the pelvis, we have we have the ilium, the ischium, and the pubis, right? So there's three sections of bones on each anominate or each section of the pelvis. So the ischium is the one that you sit on. So there is a tuberosity. There is a bump 
on the ischium that the long head attaches to, the ischial tuberosity. And then it goes all the way down to the head of the fibula and the lateral condyle of the tibia. So remember, the fibula is the short or the smaller bone in the lower leg, and it's on the lateral side, and the hamstring, the biceps femoris, is on the lateral side of the leg. So it attaches to the head of the fibula, which is that bony notch on the, the outside of the, the knee, just below where the bend of the knee is. And then the condyle of the tibia, which is that outwardly rounded shape on the bigger bone, the tibia. Remember, fibula is a small lie. A fib is a small lie. Fibula is the small bone in the leg. All right, then there's the short head of the biceps femoris, and that is going to be on the linea aspera of the femur. So the linea aspera or as aspera or aspera is a, almost like a fin a little thin shaped area on the posterior side of the femur. What I think is also interesting, and we talked about quads last week, that two of the quadriceps, the vastus lateralis and the vastus medialis, actually attach to the linea aspera as well. So that line on the back of the femur, they attach to that wrap around the femur and the biceps also attaches, the bicep short head, is where that proximal attachment is. And then it joins forces with the, the long head and attaches to the head of the fibula and the lateral condyle of the tibia. So let's talk about what they do in the sagittal plane. So it crosses two joints, remember? So it's, it's the ischium, so it crosses over the hip joint and then all the way down to the head of the, the fibula and the condyle of the tibia. So it crosses the hip joint at the top, proximally. It crosses the um, uh, knee joint distally. At least one of those portions crosses both joints. The long head crosses two joints. The short head only crosses the knee. So in the sagittal plane, they both at the knee, so they're going to do knee flexion. Sagittal plane, they do knee flexion. They decelerate knee extension. Well, why are we talking about deceleration? I want to. I only want to know what we can lift, right? Well, if uh, if you can't lower it, you shouldn't be lifting it. Uh, and that kind of has to do with. Um, I mean, think about uh, brakes on a car. You probably only go as fast as the the brakes work. And it doesn't mean you can't do ollie lifts and drop the weights. What it does mean is I, you got to think about things like running. I need to be able to decelerate how fast my knee extends so that I can actively concentrically stop that extension, eccentrically stop the amount of knee extension that happens. And then I have to be able to switch it into a concentric knee flexion. So that is a valuable component to us, our ability to decelerate movement. Well, then there's, so with sagittal plane, now there's transverse plane. This is interesting. So we've got transverse plane at the knee. The biceps femoris at the knee can do lateral rotation. It's a lateral rotator. Now you think about this is that if, if my, my knee, which we oftentimes only think about flexion and extension, when it's locked out, it, it can't rotate. But as soon as we go into knee flexion, 
we have about 30 degrees of lateral rotation, about 15 degrees of medial rotation. So yeah, we can, we can rotate. In fact, that's why when sometimes you see people squatting, their knees go in and their feet turn out. Well, that wouldn't be able to happen if the knee didn't rotate. In fact, if those forces happened and the knee couldn't rotate, then it would just break probably, right? So it's a good thing that our knee does rotate. So with that lateral rotation, you see the foot turn out. Now, we also have the sagittal plane in for the long head only where it does hip extension concentrically, but um, and it decelerates hip flexion. But we have to be very aware that, uh, and, and it also at the hip would do lateral rotation. So it can do lateral rotation at the hip, the long head, because it crosses the hip and has a lateral angle of pull. So there we are with our joint actions for the biceps femoris. So now let's get into the other two hamstring muscles. So this is the, the biceps femoris or femoris, and then there's semimembranosus and semitendinosus, the semi-sisters on the medial side of the leg. And they are, they're really tendinous and membranous. If you feel them, you can feel the inside of the leg and they feel particularly stringy, maybe compared to the, the biceps femoris on the lateral side. So let's talk about what these mean. Well, semi is Latin for half. Membranosus is something like um, skin is a membrane, membranosus, or parchment, like paper. So it's thin like paper. And that's that's the semi-membranosus. And then semi-tendinosus is exactly what you think it might sound like. It is Greek for tendon or sinew. So you have half being a membranosus and the other half being a tendinosus, very thin and the other one very tendony, but they are also quite similar. So they basically used very similar words, very similar meaning words for what it is that they were defining. So what I love about anatomy and how they named muscles, they were like, this looks like this. And so when we listen to anatomy and we think, my goodness, this is so deep. It's so profound. It's like learning another language. When the Greeks and the Latins were doing it, they were like, let's just call it this because it looks like that. And that's what they called it. So it wasn't deep or profound for them. They were just words that described what it was. So let's talk about the proximal and distal attachment. Here we go. Ready? Proximal attachment. It's going to sound familiar. The ischial tuberosity. The ischial tuberosity for both the membranosus, the tendinosus, and the reason it sounds familiar, because it's also for the biceps femoris. So the ischial tuberosity for all three of the hamstring muscles. So it crosses over the hip from the ischial tuberosity all the way down. And then the distal attachment for the membranosus is on the medial condyle of the femurs. The condyle are the rounded areas of the, uh, the bones. So it's on the medial condyle. And then the tendinosus is on the medial body of the tibia. So they have similar, very similar proximal attachments and then very similar uh, distal attachments as well. So what does that mean for our movement? Well, they're both going to have the same joint actions. In the sagittal plane at the knee, they both do flexion and they both decelerate extension. 
Same thing we talked about for the biceps fin rest. And then in the transverse plane, this is going to differ from the biceps femoris. These both at the knee will concentrically do medial rotation or internal rotation of the knee. Now, this is important because there's a lot of assessments out there. We see lateral rotation at the knee. Maybe the knee uh, goes into a valgus position or a knee knock position, but the feet are actually pointed away. And so that's a lot of lateral rotation. Well, I want these guys to decelerate that, to minimize the lateral rotation. So we also see it. Both of these do across the hip and they do hip extension concentrically and they decelerate hip flexion. But I want to go back out to the Lateral rotation. If you're doing a hamstring exercise, let's do isolated hamstring exercise on a machine, right? So either a seated leg curl on a fixed path of motion machine or the prone where you're lying face down and you're curling your feet back towards your butt. These are two very popular exercises that are done to isolate the hamstring muscles. But if you watch people do this, just watch Every single leg curl that you can see at the gym, if you have an environment to do so, and almost 100% of the people will have their feet turned out. They have their feet turned out. So if they are practicing doing leg curls and their feet are turned out, then either they are stronger in that position, which focuses on one of these particular muscles, right? Or there is some type of tightness that's there as well. So when I look at it, I say, well, which muscle? And you say, Rick, is that coming from the knee or is that coming from the hip? It doesn't matter because either one, if it's lateral rotation at the knee, then it's your biceps femoris that would be preferentially active when you're working that. And if it's lateral rotation at the hip, it would also be the biceps femoris that would do lateral rotation at the hip while doing flexion at the knee. And we're isolated uh, at the hip, at least in terms of flexion and extension, but not rotation. So if that muscle is overactive, you're going to see the toes pointing out, the toes point away from each other. Like there was just an argument and they just can't look at each other anymore. They can't. So look away. The feet are turned away from each other because they can't handle it anymore. Well, who can we call to help remedy this situation? The Simi sisters. They're always so good at help bringing us back together again. But what do we have to do? When you see that, you're going to have to lighten the weight because if you straighten the feet back up so the toes are pointed straight ahead, most likely you're going to have to take those plates and lower it even if you wanted to preferentially activate by going into medial rotation at the hip, keeping the heels out, turning the toes towards each other and trying to curl like that, your medial hamstrings are going to light up and they probably aren't as strong as the lateral hamstrings. Now, it's one of the great things that you can do is train them a little bit more so that then you can keep your feet straight ahead and have all of the muscles work together in tandem with an orchestration of movement that keeps it in a neutral position. So 
I like to do this too, not just the, the curling assessment, but I also like to do single leg squat assessments. A couple of things about the single leg squat assessment allow me to look to see if that lateral hamstring, the biceps fem, is a bit more overactive. And it's while I have people standing on one leg, I have them lift the other leg, usually just an inch or two off the ground. They can lift it a little bit higher and then not put it in front of them or not put the leg, the elevated leg behind them, but just keeping it somewhere close to the foot that's planted. And as people start to go into that single leg squat, look at the elevated foot and see if the elevated foot turns out laterally. In many of the assessments that I do, especially when I see people with feet turn out in the overhead squat assessment, I put them in single leg, I might see that single leg turn out. I might see single leg turn out, and you might too. You might see single leg turn out a lot on one side and not as much on the other. So what are we looking at here? We're looking at at foam rolling the biceps femoris, stretching the biceps femoris and doing some activations for the semimembranosus, semitendinosus, and see if we can get them to now start working together and sharing the demands of knee flexion concentrically or decelerating knee extension. And here's the thing, when you're working your biceps femoris or your hamstrings, the biceps femoris tends to be strained more than the semis. And if you look at its joint actions, it's very similar to the glutes. At the hip, it can do what? Well, it has the angle and ability to do hip extension, as do the glutes. It can do lateral rotation, as do the glutes. And I'm talking glute max here. And the glute max can abduct in the frontal plane, as can technically the biceps femoris. So... If the glutes aren't doing their job too, then the biceps femoris is not only doing the job that it's supposed to do, it's doing the job that the glutes are supposed to do as well. No wonder that there's an increased tendency for the biceps fem to strain over the muscles that aren't really participating as much, especially if it's doing the job for glutes that are underactive and not doing the job that they're supposed to do. So I think like that's good for today. It's a good conversation about the hamstrings and, uh, you know, just pay attention, pay attention to those semi sisters, do a little extra work for maybe those medial hamstrings, try to balance out some of the strength that, you might get and be focusing on with the biceps femoris taking over. And with that said, like do some glute max movement prep so that the glutes can do the job and the, the biceps femoris isn't responsible for so much. All right. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. Uh, listen, if you could, you could like, share, subscribe, share with your fitness friends about this podcast and let them know about it, I would greatly appreciate it. Uh, you can also reach out to me if you have questions. You want to reach out, uh, you can hit me up on Instagram at dr.rickrichie, or you can email me at rick.richie, that's R-I-C-H-E-Y, at nasm.org. Thanks again. This has been the NASM CPT Podcast. <laughs>